Well, good evening, those of you that are here, those of you that are there. <laughs> um, a little bit of a review. Uh, lately, we've been going through the gospel. Uh, started a few weeks ago. One of the reasons why we're going through the gospel is in my um, travels and in my discussions with a lot of people, including churches as a whole, in asking the simple question, what is the gospel? The answers that I get are very insufficient for gospel-preaching churches. Uh, the gospel is the good news. True story, it is. That's what the word means. What is the good news? Well, it's the word of God. Yeah, it, it is the word of God. Could we be a little bit more specific? Uh, there's 33,100 verses, 1,189 chapters. You know, shorten it a little bit. Well, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yes, those are the gospels. Can we please hear the gospel? And uh, almost every single time, and if you men felt as though I was picking on you this morning, I was, uh, almost every single time it was a woman who would share 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Um, in trying to emphasize that over the years here, I know if I ask those questions here, I'm going to get the gospel. That's good. That's good. Uh, but I remember pastors saying, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection is only a few chapters of each of the gospels. Why so many chapters? Well, it's that first word, that Christ died for our sins. So the rest of the books are basically to prove that he is the Christ. So uh, the last uh, couple of weeks we've been dealing with how Matthew presents the Christ, how Mark presents the Christ. Tonight we're looking at how Luke presents the Christ, uh, and again, according to the Scriptures. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and care for us. Thank you for this time together. As we open your word, we do ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds, give us grace to see and understand the truth, and that we may be able to stand with confidence and proclaim the gospel, knowing that, uh, like Paul, we're not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it. And it is only through the hearing of the word that faith is developed. And uh, without hearing, it can't happen. And you have called us to preach, each and every single one of us, first with our lives and second as we answer questions that people may ask. So give us good understanding in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So as you look at the uh, notes that I didn't put out there for you, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> uh. Well, yeah, if you don't mind, here. You're going to have to take these. Yeah, run them off. And I'm going to start with Luke presents Jesus as the Son of Man. Nope. Uh, two, four, six, eight, ten. Twelve is what I normally do. <laughs> okay. Uh, Matthew presented Christ as the Jewish promised king, the Son of David. Uh, Mark presented him as divine and human, but he was the servant. The first half, the main word that's used is immediately, Jesus did this. Immediately, Jesus did that. Second half, uh, he came to serve, uh, to give his life a ransom for many. And that brings us to Luke. Now, when I was in Bible college, uh, most of the time they said, well, Luke presents Jesus' humanity. And uh, 
and John presents his divinity. What we're going to find as we look at the notes that you're going to get someday uh, is he does, like Mark and like Matthew, he presents both his humanity and his divinity, but Luke is doing it in a special way. Luke is writing to, if you'll look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed uh, them down to us, it, is, it also seemed good to me, since I carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So Luke, being a doctor, uh, actually writes two volumes to his gospel. We have the gospel according to Luke, and then we have the Acts of the Apostles, which is a fulfillment of what was presented in the gospel of Luke. We'll see that as we go along. Now Luke is a Gentile, and he is writing to a Gentile. So my first uh, observation would be, he'd be writing like a Gentile. But one of the things that Luke does is he changes his writing style. Now, it may not be a change for him, but he's actually writing much like the Greek Old Testament, like the LXX or the Septuagint. It's called the Septuagint because it stands for 70, and the LXX stands for 70. It's talking about how many people were used to uh, translate from the Hebrew into the Greek, the Hebrew and the Aramaic. So in a moment, we'll see that. Uh, But one of the things that Luke does is he presents Christ as the Son of Man. So in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now, when I read that passage in context, I'm seeing the Son of Man as a divine being. And that's what it's presenting. And yet, we're going to see as we go along here that the Son of Man is actually a term that deals more with man, his, uh, his humanity. In Judaism, letter B in your notes there, mankind generally, in contrast to deity or Godhead, with special reference to their weakness and frailty. Let me give you a couple examples. Job 25, 6. How much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm? Now, I don't know about you, but that's probably one of the verses that's not on the top 10 memorization list. Uh, I remember being at a funeral where they were uh, playing Amazing Grace on the uh, record player or, or CD player or whatever. And when it got to Uh, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound uh, that saved a person like me. Uh, Let's change the words. Why? Because we're not that bad. Uh, Yes, we are. All you have to do is look in politics (laughs) Uh, or the insurance industry or the banking industry or uh, any number of possibilities. But we probably really don't have to look beyond our own household to see uh, that, yeah, that's pretty much uh, the way it is. Psalm 8.4, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? The question is basically, God, why do you waste your time with us? 
Okay, uh, Psalm 144, verse 3. Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Same thing. Psalm 146, verse 3. Uh, do you put your trust in princes, or excuse me, do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help? Interesting. Isaiah 51, 12. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of man who will be made like grass? Now, that is a verse we probably ought to uh, consider memorizing because as the days get worse, one of the things we're going to have to remember is we do not need to fear what men can do to the body, right? Now, do we want to go through that? Of course not. But that's not what we should fear. We should uh, give God his proper place uh, because we are men with our weaknesses and frailty. Number two, Luke also presents Jesus as the son of David. Uh, Luke 3.31 uh, points that out. The genealogy begins with Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now, just so you know, Luke's genealogy is actually Mary's genealogy. Uh, they use Joseph, the husband of Mary, because the men get all of the attention, right? But why did they put Mary in there? And if you follow it back, you see Matthew gives you Joseph's genealogy so that people would recognize Christ has uh, the right uh, as the seed of David to sit on the throne. Uh, Mary's uh, genealogy does exactly the same thing, but Mary is actually blood-related to Christ, where Joseph is not. Okay, so he's the son of David through Mary's bloodline from the line of David, making him the biological heir to the throne of David. In Joseph's genealogy, from David you go to Solomon and Rehoboam, etc. In Mary's genealogy, you go from David to um, Nathan. It's not uh, Solomon. Uh, so that's where she gets her uh, bloodline from. Letter C all the way back to the first man, Adam. So the genealogy goes from Joseph, the husband of Mary, through David, all the way back to Adam. Again, the emphasis, he's human. Number three, he focuses on Jesus' humanity, detailing the announcement of his incarnation. So we're not just talking about the birth, we're talking about nine months previous. Hey, Mary, this is what's going to happen. By the way, Brazil, they actually celebrate uh, the in, uh, the uh, conception of Christ and the conception of Mary. And, oy vey, I tell you, it's crazy. You've got to have another day to drink beer or something like that. I don't know. Uh, so he focuses on Jesus' humanity, not only the announcement of his incarnation, but his birth also. Number four, Luke is the only gospel that gives us a glimpse into Jesus' childhood years. Uh, you'll see that in Luke 2, 40. 42 through 43. Uh, it follows up with the sequel in the continued works of God in the book of Acts. Um, so we get a little bit more information there. Uh, Simeon's summary in Luke chapter 2, verse 32. Let me read that uh, for you because that is actually fulfilled in the book of Acts. So chapter 2, verse 52. It says... And Jesus didn't, no, that's not it. Where am I? Okay, let me look at my notes again here. 232, that was 52, sorry about that. 32, 
that he would be, Jesus would be a light uh, of, for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Uh, so that is Simeon's uh, summary. Uh, notice a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. You find that in Isaiah 42.6. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. That's going to be the Gentiles. And as a light to the Gentiles. Uh, I mean, the first group would be the Jews. Uh, also, the glory of your people Israel goes back to Isaiah 49.6. Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, so that's Simeon's summary. Number five. Uh, Luke uses the language of salvation more than the other Gospels. The noun for salvation is used seven times in 24 chapters. Now, you might say, well, that's not a lot, but none of the other Gospels have it that many times. Okay? Uh, Notice it is never found in Matthew or Mark. John does talk about it, but not seven times. So that brings us to the five distinctions of Luke's gospel. First of all, we have the prologue. Now, I already read the prologue for you, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1, uh, the introduction, if you will. Did you know that chapter 1 actually takes up three pages in my Bible? It's a long chapter. (laughs) Uh, But we see here, uh, he sets forth his purpose Uh, compared to John. John actually sets forth the purpose why he wrote the gospel of John all the way back here in John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Well, in Luke, we see the purpose right up front. Uh, He says in verse 3, he set forth to write to you an orderly account. Uh, It is interesting as you follow the Gospel of Luke or the book of Acts, uh, Luke puts in a lot of details. And sometimes you have to be careful when you're reading because he says, and we went there, and then he says, and they went over there. And if you're not careful, you think Luke's with them. And no, Luke stayed where they were the first time. And it's just a little pronoun. I know we have a problem with them in this day and age, but Luke did not. He understood uh, that they meant the group of people that he had been with. Okay, and then verse 4, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So Theophilus, being a Greek, had been instructed in the things of the Lord and so Luke is writing to get, give him an orderly account, give him all the details so that he could be certain that this is the way it happened. Now, I don't know about you. We we're talking a little bit about biblical ignorance in our introduction this morning. The reality is, is in these four Gospels, there are a lot of overlaps. There's a purpose for some of those overlaps. But there are also things in each individual Gospel that are Uh, specific to those Gospels. And so when we come to Luke, uh, he wants him to be certain. Uh, I I love it when I'm talking to people about the Lord and they say, well, no one can really know if they're going to heaven. Let me see. John says, 
I write these things to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe on the name of the uh, Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Bible does give certainty. Now, it does mean you have to believe it, okay? But it does give certainty. All right, so that brings us to number two, the birth. In chapter 1, verse 5 through 252, uh, Luke and Matthew are the only ones that deal with the birth of Christ. Uh, Luke is writing in a different Hebraic style, like the Septuagint, as I already pointed out. But in so doing, uh, his gospel is full of Old Testament themes to show that this was not something new. So he's actually showing in his storytelling, if you will, hey, God did this in the past, he did it again. God did this in the past, he did it again. God did this in the past, he does it again. So he starts out with Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are righteous in God's sight. That's in chapter 1 and verse 6. And when we go to Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And the interesting thing there is Noah and his family, three sons, wife, their wives, they're the only ones that are saved because they were righteous in God's sight. Genesis 17.1, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Boy, I don't know about you, but if you know anything about yourself, the idea of being, when we say blameless, we think sinless. The idea of being sinless for the next couple of weeks is difficult in and of itself. And God's telling them, walk before me. In other words, I'm watching you. I'm with you all the time. There's nothing to get away from. And he says, and be blameless. Are we putting pressure on Abram here? No, it is walk with me. And in so doing, you're going to be blameless. It's not that you're going to have, not going to have your failures. It is your blamelessness or your righteousness is dependent upon uh, me. First uh, Kings 9.4, Now if you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments. Now God is talking to Solomon, and he makes reference to his dad who walked in integrity and kept all of the commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Did he really? David was righteous like Abraham. He believed God. God imputed his righteousness to David's account, and God kept him close to the path most of the time. And when he got off, God dealt with it. Okay, so when we talk about Zechariah and Elizabeth being righteous in God's sight, just like us, as we have put our faith in Christ, uh, again, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then, of course, the second theme that we see in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life, Elizabeth is barren until God opens her womb. Uh, 
Let me see. I've got a couple of verses here that don't go with this. There we go. Now Abram and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. See, it happened in the past, and here it is happening again. Genesis twenty-five twenty-one. Now Israel pled with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Uh, Genesis 30, verses 22 and 23. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. By the way, these are all verses that help us understand that abortion uh, has no place in the life of a Christian. Why? Because it is God that opens and closes the womb. And if God opened the womb, it wasn't for the purpose of child sacrifice. Something to think about there. Uh, Judges 13.2. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. This is Samson's mom and dad. First Samuel 1.2. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So again, an Old Testament theme. It's happened in the past. God dealt with it. And here we are in the New Testament. It's happening again, but God is going to deal with it. And then, of course, the birth announcement by angels. Uh, we have uh, an announcement uh, for Zechariah, and we have an announcement for Mary, right? The angel visits both of them, tells them this is what's going to happen. They both ask questions. Why does Zechariah become mute for nine months and Mary didn't. Zachariah's questioning is out of doubt. Mary's questioning is, uh, can you give me some more information? You know, I've never known a man, so how's this going to happen again? Where Zachariah is kind of like, yeah, that can't happen. We're both old and she's barren and, okay, fine. Well, it's going to happen anyway. And by the way, because you disbelieved, we're going to let you go without talking for the next nine months. Uh, probably uh, something we all ought to practice at, <laughs> okay? Uh, so in Genesis sixteen eleven, then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, Genesis seventeen nineteen, And God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And then you've got a, another story in Genesis 18, 1 to 15. Uh, Judges 13, 2 to 23. We already read verse 2. And then, of course, Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So there's an announcement 700 years before the happening, even though there's a short-term fulfillment, the real fulfillment 700 years later. And so they should have kind of been expecting it when it finally uh, happened. And then, of course, on the top of the next page, the characters occasionally break out into hymns of praise. I don't know about you, but do you like musicals where the, a question will be asked and all of a sudden they start dancing around and singing? I, I, I know most guys normally, yeah, Larry's shaking his head, no. You know, every now and again, well, pastor's down in Branson this week, and he's watching the uh, Sight and Sound Theater, uh, Book of Esther. Uh, Lynn and I were there last year, uh, Dave, last year sometime with Dave and Linda, and we saw, was it The Life of Christ, or I don't remember what we saw, but it was actually pretty good. But, you know, they're going along in the story, and then, oh, they break out into singing and dancing. And, well, the same kind of thing happens 
in our story here, just like in the Old Testament. Uh, so in Luke 1, 46 to 55 and 67 through 79, that happens. And again, in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. If you wanted to go to the Old Testament, uh, the children of Israel come through the Red Sea. Uh, Pharaoh and his soldiers uh, come through and all of a sudden they get bogged down in the sand and bloom, uh, drowned and everybody breaks out in singing. You got uh, Moses' sister leading the whole thing. So just saying, it, it happened then, it happens again in the New Testament. Number three, the final, this again is uh, the third thing that is distinctive about the book of Luke compared to the other Gospels. The final journey to Jerusalem. In chapters nine, uh, chapter 9, 51 through 1927, you're going to see the same information that you'll see in the Gospel of Mark. But in the Gospel of Mark, he goes here to there, and then he goes over here, and then he does this there, and he does that, and there's no mention of, until the very end, it's time to go to Jerusalem. Where in the book of Luke, notice our notes here, it begins with an extended ministry in Galilee, uh, Luke chapter 3 through 9, uh, the calling of the disciples, the teaching and performing of miracles, and the coming into conflict with the religious leaders. And then starting at chapter 9, verse 51, Luke reminds the uh, reader that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem in 9:51 through 56, again in chapter 13, verse 22, again in chapter 17, verse 11, again in chapter 18, verse 31, again in chapter 19, verse 11, verse 28, verse 41. See, in all of the things that are in both Gospels, Mark and Luke, they, they did it all, but he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Luke keeps on pointing out. Because, see, the ministry was going to culminate with the death of Christ on that cross in Jerusalem. There wasn't an if, and, or but about that. Okay? And then notice letter C emphasizes Christ's commitment to God's plan of redemption. It is interesting. I can't think of the verse off the top of my head right now, but there is a verse in the Bible that seems to indicate that God uh, had this plan and Christ actually consents to the plan. This is all in the counsel of God before the foundation of the world. And the whole point being is, you know, I, I've got three boys. I know mankind well enough I wouldn't be offering mine. And then it's not a, I'm making him, lets him decide. Yeah, I'll do it. And it wasn't one of those, ah, this is easy, I'm God. You see him in the garden the night before. Lord, if there's any other way, let's go with that one. But if not, your will be done. Okay? So that brings us to the resurrection, uh, a little bit distinct here in Luke for a, ver a variety of reasons. You'll see that in Luke chapter 24. First of all, we have the discovery of the empty tomb in verses 1 through 12. Then we have uh, the story of the encounter on the road to Emmaus, chapters uh, 24, verses 13 through 35. Uh, in this discussion, we have, uh, or in this uh, encounter, we have a discussion between the two disciples about the teaching and miracles of the one they thought was the prophet sent from God. But 
the crucifixion had dashed their hopes. So we, we thought it was him, but then he died. See, they've lost hope. But Jesus encounters them and teaches that he shows from the Scripture, beginning in Moses, through the prophets, he taught that the Messiah had to suffer these things and then enter his glory. Now, again, we were talking about biblical ignorance in our introduction this morning. These guys, it looks like they might have been two of the disciples, even though they're not named or anything. I think one of them is named, and it might have been Peter. I, I, I don't remember right off the top of my head. But they were ignorant, even though they had been, walked with Jesus for three years. Even though Jesus had said at least three times in the Gospel of Mark, hey, we're on our way to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the religious leaders, and then I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to rise again. said it at least three times. And so here they are, all hope lost, and he teaches them from the Old Testament, starting in Moses. So that's going to be Genesis through Deuteronomy. Through the prophets, this had to happen. Part of the problem with the religious leaders was they were looking for the Christ that was going to reign over the world. They were looking for the one that was going to take Rome out of the picture. They were looking at Daniel chapter 7 knowing that this rock that was uh, carved out of the mountain without hands and was thrown at the feet of that statue and all of those kingdoms were destroyed. They were, they were looking for that guy. Yeah, he is that guy. But you kind of miss the other passages. Isaiah 53. Go back and read Isaiah 53 sometime and look at the pronouns and see if you can put Isaiah or Israel into the place of the suffering servant. If you look at the pronouns, you'll see you cannot do it. It is not Isaiah. It is not Israel. And yet this one, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. We didn't esteem him. We didn't give him his proper place. So uh, when we get to the resurrection, Jesus is teaching, yeah, this was always supposed to happen. And then notice he spoke of himself as the suffering prophet, uh, let me read a couple of these verses here. Uh, Luke 4, uh, 24. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. I think I was sharing with you that I have eight brothers and sisters, and one of them recently passed, the only one that I never shared the gospel with. The rest I've shared the gospel with. Most of them are not really interested in uh, talking to me because somewhere in Russia is probably going to be talking about Jesus, and they're not really interested. Uh, I remember one time my sister's daughter was given her problems, a teenager, 13, 14 years old. And so I started talking to her about the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody ran out of the house like their hair was on fire. It, it, was, it was, I mean, they disappeared that quick. Um, when I brought Lynn home to introduce her to the family, because we had gotten engaged, and um, my sister Brenda said, boy, You've really mellowed him out. The last time he was here, he was sending us all to hell. And obviously, I wasn't sending anyone to hell. I was trying to prevent them from going, but uh, they didn't want to hear it. And a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Uh, how about uh, Luke 6.23? Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner uh, their fathers did to the prophets... 
And then you've got a, uh, two passages there, 1147 to 50, 30, 13, 33 to 34, in 922, saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Verse 44, let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. So he uh, demonstrated or spoke of himself as the suffering prophet. He also spoke of himself as the Son of Man in chapter 9 and uh, verse 22. And I'm uh, going to have there. Uh, no, that's not it. Uh, let me find it here. There's another page in there. Nope. Well, apparently I didn't get those verses. Oh, well, you'll have to look them up yourself. <laughs> uh, Luke uh, 9.22 uh, 944, all those are the ones I just read. 1831, 2222, and 247. Uh, the first time explicit, explicitly says that the Messiah must suffer and die. In all of the book of Luke, this is the first time he says the Messiah must suffer and die. Even though he forewarned them that it was going to happen, but notice the word must. Okay? Uh, and uh, that is repeated in 2446, Acts 3.18, Acts 17.3, and Acts 26.23. Uh, the crucifixion confirms his Messiahship. Let me see, do I have any of those verses? I do not understand how, what I did here, but I missed a few of them here. But they would have been worth reading. <laughs> okay, there's a couple. Um, 2446, then he said to them, this, uh, thus it was written and thus it was necessary for, the, necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. Acts 3.18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets and that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Uh, 17.3 of Acts, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And then 26.23, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now there's a question for you. In Luke 20, uh, Acts 26.23, he would be the first to rise from the dead. Why is that true when he raised Lazarus from the dead, Tabitha from the dead, when uh, the guy that touched Elisha's bones rose from the dead? Why is Jesus the first to rise from the dead? He's the first fruits. What does that mean? What happened to Lazarus a few years later? What happened to the guy that uh, uh, rose when he touched Elisha's bones? What happened to Tabitha? They all died again. See, their resurrection was for a temporary service. When Jesus rose again, he ascends into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and is alive forevermore. That's why he is the first to uh, rise again. Okay, so that uh, again brings us back to um, the crucifixion confirms his messiahship, and the suffer and uh, to suffer and rise again, bringing forgiveness uh, of sins. Uh, where is it? There it is, way down there. Well, before I get there, I'm going to use it anyway. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. It says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. 
What does that mean? That in rising from the dead, it proved that he was God. And if you want to get technical, it proves that he is Messiah, the Savior, the one that can forgive sins. Okay? So that brings us to letter C. Acts, the book of Acts, is the story of the disciples taking the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, again, you can look at Luke 24, uh, 44 through 49, and Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that was what Jesus said before he ascends, and the book of Acts is the story of how they actually accomplished that. Uh, every now and again, you will hear a mission agency talking about reaching the world before 2020. Uh, oh, uh, now it's 2030. Why? Because we didn't. Why didn't we? Well, the world's a big place. There's a lot of people. You might actually have to learn a language. Um, we struggled talking about Jesus to people we know. That's Jerusalem. Now let's go to Samaria. Uh, people we don't really like because they're kind of, they're different than us. Now let's go to the ends of the earth. Well, that might cause global warming. We have a lot of excuses. You know who you're responsible for? The ones that you work with. Your neighbors. Now, does that mean you have to go knocking on the door? Before you die, i got to tell you about Jesus. No, you're supposed to live as though God is number one in your life. And Lord willing, some of them will see that and maybe ask a question. Uh, when we lived on Church Street down in Belleville, as a youth pastor here, uh, my wife talked to more people about Jesus in our neighborhood than I ever did. Because she'd be out there with the kids, hanging laundry. Neighbor would come over and say, So, you, you guys are new to the neighborhood. What's your husband do for a living? Well, he's a youth pastor up here at Edgemont Bible. So how'd he get religion? See, they ask questions. Sometimes we have to be listening. Okay? And then we tell them. Those are the ones that we're responsible for. Uh, but they accomplished what uh, God had for them. Number five, another thing that is distinctive to the book of Luke is the ascension. The ascension is briefly recounted in uh, uh, Luke 24, 50 to 51. And it says, And then he, uh, he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. There's your ascension, okay? It is explained in more detail in Acts chapter 1. So if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and turn there. This again is the second volume, if you will, of the Gospel of Luke. He is writing it to the same person and uh, for the same reason, trying to give him a clear understanding of what happened after the death, burial, and resurrection. And so 
in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now notice, he right, right off the bat, I wrote you the first narrative. So what is this? The second narrative, the second volume, okay? And then... Uh, uh, until yeah, verse three. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to many by uh, to them by many convicting proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Uh, this he said is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of sight. While he was uh, going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes uh, stood by them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? Then Jesus, who had been taken, uh, this Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So Luke gives us two accounts, one very brief, and then the other one much more detail in his explanation. Now, why is this crucial? Letter C, it is crucial for two reasons. Uh, letter I, together with the resurrection, this serves as a vindication of his Messiahship. Well, let me see. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Wow, 22 through 36. Well, let's go ahead and take a look at it. I know it's a long passage, but I'm not asking you to read it. I'm asking you to follow along while I read it. How's that sound? So starting in verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out uh, to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken." Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing this in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay." God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father, uh, 
the Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So it is uh, with the resurrection, it is a vindication of his uh, Messiahship. Uh, and again, Romans 1.4, he was declared to be the Son of God uh, by the Spirit of holiness through the resurrection of the dead. And then letter uh, double I, for uh, from his position as reigning at the right hand of God, that he pours out the Holy Spirit, which I read in Acts 2.33. So, this all confirms that the end times have begun. As I pointed out this morning, the end times began when Jesus showed up, Hebrews 1-2. And here we see it again in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 21, and Joel 2, 28 through 32. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also my, uh, on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Now, uh, if you read through Acts two sixteen through 21, Peter actually stops before we get to the signs and wonders in heaven. Why? Because that wasn't happening then. But it will happen before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Uh, but again, it confirms the end times have begun. And notice, uh, it confirms becoming the empowering and guiding force to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's go back to why Christians do not share the gospel. Well, I'm not exactly sure what to say. What was Jesus' response to that? When you stand before kings... Don't worry about what you're going to say. It'll be given to you. This is also another reason why I don't think God's plan of reaching the world is going door to door by most of his church. Now, churches do it. Lynn and I were visited just last weekend. I think it was last weekend uh, by uh, Baptist Church downtown. Cool. We talked pleasantly with them. Uh, Lynn came out with her slacks on and Thought that was a mistake, but oh well. <laughs> you know that—that's the other church's problem, not ours. Uh, but the—the uh, the reality is, is they're doing door to door. Cool, bless you if you want to do that. But Peter talks about consecrating the Lord God in your heart and being ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in you. That means question. Someone's going to see it. They're going to wonder why you're the way you are, and. Instead of worrying about what we would say, now, should you be prepared? Sure, it says, and be ready to give an answer. But what are you going to talk about? Whatever the moment allows you to talk about. 
You know, I've talked to people about Jesus from the Gospel of John, from the book of Romans. Uh, I can go to the book of Acts. I can go to the Old Testament and show that justification before God comes by faith. Faith in what? Whatever God told you. Well, what did he tell us? Well, let's go to the New Testament. Okay? Uh, Whole point being, and again, I, I don't expect you all to be prepared in that way. Maybe you should be, but that's between you and God at the moment. What I am saying is to stop worrying about what you're going to say and be ready to talk about the Lord that you love, who died to pay for sins, was buried, and rose again the third day so that you could have a relationship with God. Okay? All right, and of course, you'll see again there, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, near your house, in Samaria, talking to people they might not necessarily care for, Democrats. I mean, um, uh, you know, East St. Louis or, or something like that. And uh, then to the uttermost part of the earth. Uh, let me see. Gordon and Jolene went down to Florida this week. So where are they going to be witnesses? In Florida. Uh, Lynn and I have been to Brazil. We've been to Mexico. Uh, we went to Canada once, but that was just to catch a plane to go to Bermuda. Oh, we've been to Bermuda. <laughs> you know, wherever you are, that's where you're going to be a light. Yeah, kind of crazy. You go from upper state New York to Montreal to catch a plane to go to uh, Bermuda, but that's how it works. <laughs> or at least it did 38 years ago. <laughs> okay, any questions or thoughts about the, uh, Luke's presentation of the Christ? Next week, we'll do... Uh, John's presentation of the Christ, and then we're going to get into died for our sins, but that'll happen the week after Mother's Day because Mother's Day is the least attended service all year long, the evening service, so we're just going to let you stay home with mom. How's that sound? Okay, let's close in prayer and we'll uh, let you go. Father, we do thank you. Thank you that we have four different accounts written by four different men giving us the perspective, the, uh, the things that uh, the Spirit brought to their minds of the life of Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection, so that we might know that He is who He said He was, and that which was done was done for certainty, that we might have that security in knowing that our faith in who He is, what He has done, is sufficient to satisfy you. Pray that as we continue to study the gospel, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to understand not just the need, but also the great, gracious provision, and that we might be able to be enthusiastic, excited about talking to others about who you are and what you've done. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, well, this week, uh, if you get an opportunity, Wednesday evening, we're going to be looking at the Council of Chalcedon, where we're going to, again, look at where the church got away from just doing what the Bible said and uh, how it caused so much problems for them in about 481 A.D. So hopefully see you then. Otherwise, you'll be working in Awana. Have a good week.